What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us here for a very special Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can check me out over on Twitter at JoeOrico99, and you can check out all of our baseball and fantasy baseball content here at Sports Ethos over at the Ethos Fantasy BB page on Twitter. That's E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB. You get all of our new podcasts, articles, different news and notes, and all of our content over there. And of course, if you're not somebody who likes to use Twitter as much anymore, it'd be hard to blame you at this point. You can check it out right at the source at SportsEthos.com. Now, you guys probably heard me throughout the offseason a million and one times mention ATC, 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 and I'm sure a lot of you know what that means. For some of you, you may be not as familiar with projections. We're going to get the masterclass today because we have Ariel Cohen himself here, the creator of the ATC projection system, with us to talk about how to use projections in season because it is a little bit different than you would uh, leading up to drafts. Ariel, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. My pleasure to be here. Hey, how you doing, Joe? It's been a nice draft season. How about you? It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I ended up doing fewer leagues than I thought I would, actually. I ended up only doing six, and I thought it would be a lot more than that, but I think I'm pretty comfortable uh, with the three fab leagues. I've got a couple head-to-head leagues and a draft and hold. I'm I'm pretty happy uh, with my teams. Were you happy with your drafts? I was very happy after I drafted. Um, and then the slew of injuries came, uh, I'll tell you about one team in, uh, labor in the, uh, league of alternative, alternative baseball reality. I drafted Edwin Diaz, Jose Altuve, Justin Verlander, Max Freed, and, um, uh, the pitcher on the Yankees was <laughs> a blanket for a second. Rodon? Uh, no, no. The other one, uh, Montes? I can't blank him. What's oh, his Sever- name? Severino. Severino. Sever- thank you, Severino. Those five injuries, that's probably like $120 worth of my $260 budget on the IL. So other than that, I thought I had a pretty good draft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the nature of the game. I mean, your Mets uh, obviously have taken a couple blows here early on uh, with, with Diaz and Verlander. How concerned are you about Verlander? Is that something that's uh, you think is going to set him out for more than just a couple of weeks, or you think it'll be a minimum miles then? I, I think it's going to be a minimum. It it didn't look so bad. I saw him throwing literally the day after just to stay in routine. Uh, sounds like it's something at the back of his arm, maybe a cramp muscle or something. Uh, I, I don't know exactly the uh, the correct diagnosis and prognosis. Ruvain, my injury uh, partner on the Beat the Shift podcast, says it should be okay. So I, I think we're talking minimum, and uh, Mets fans are sure hoping it is. Yeah, Mets fans, baseball fans, fantasy managers, everybody hoping for the best uh, for Justin Verlander. Now, you guys can check out Ariel on Twitter at ATCNY. He obviously mentioned his podcast. We're going to let him just get, go through the rundown here. Ariel, what do you have going on right now in terms of content that you're producing or working on? Oh, yeah. Well, I mentioned the Beat the Shift podcast. Uh, it's a Fangraphs production. Uh, that is uh, my podcast I do with Ruvane Guy. Uh, a lot of strategy. We don't just talk players. We talk how to drop a player, when to drop a player, uh, how do you know what to look for in looking for a new player. There's every type of aspect of strategy. A lot of We do a lot of auction strategy for the preseason and whatnot. I write over at Fangraphs. I write at Rotoballer, and I've got the ATC projections. Uh, now up on Fangraphs, we have daily updated projected standings and odds. So you can see your favorite team, what the percentage chance 
that they will make the playoffs or win the World Series or whatnot. Powered by the ATC projections now. Uh, it's new. And uh, coming up shortly, I, I hope in the next week or two, we're going to have ATC rest of season projections on Fangraphs. We've never actually had that before, uh, but I think we're going to have that, or a version of it, I should say, for the first time. So I'm looking forward to that coming up real soon. So in previous years, you got to forgive me, I'm relatively new to the baseball industry. With ATC, you done it in the preseason, and then was that it? Or did you still alter it in season? How did it work in, in years past? So ATC has only so far been uh, updated for the preseason, all throughout the preseason, and once opening day hits, that's it. Uh, ATC uh, uses other projections, actually. It, it's sort of what Nate Silver does over at 538.com. It takes other projections, takes the best and the brightest. Uh, it takes different projections for different statistics, like st stolen bases versus homers versus pitcher strikeouts might have a totally different panel of projections that it uses. Um, and so that was a, a preseason thing. Uh, in season, you don't have as many projections. There's a, a bunch of internet projections are, that are just preseason, and uh, they're not – the preseason projections in general are better than the rest of season projections – in season. So I've never actually released it before, but we're going to do that this year. It's not going to be as credible as the preseason, but uh, I, I think you're going to like it. I think you're going to say, oh, this is the best of both worlds still. Uh, and so that's uh, the first time it's going to be released. And I'm hoping, hoping, hoping in the next couple of weeks. Uh, it's actually up there. We just have to have the fan graphs do the back end to uh, turn it on and uh, roll the process throughout. The whole, <clears throat> excuse me, the whole nature of projections really interests me. I know what you're doing as an aggregate, but you're also adjusting manually for what you think is more yeah. or less important than, say, Derek or Dan Zimborski or the other people who do projections, correct? Yeah, there's a little bit of manual tweak. Uh, on the rate stats, not much tweak. The only time I'll, I'll tweak a rate, and what I mean by rate is projections, the way I, I have it, the way most people do it, there's playing time, how many at-bats, how many innings pitched, and then there's uh, given that you have an at-bat, what is the homers per at-bat, what is the stolen base per at-bat, and so on and so forth. Uh, the rates, I generally don't touch. I think that the human eye is not that good uh, as compared to statistically proven uh, computer projections. So the only time that I will manually fix that is if I see there's something out of whack with a projection or two, that they're just going off of something that just doesn't make sense, and I'll manually look at it. So I'm, it's not just I'm averaging everything. I'm actually looking and filtering out stuff that shouldn't be included for whatever reason. Um, but in terms of playing time, there's always a lag. Like there's news that happens. There's injuries that happen. Some projections update faster than others. So I will go in and clean up a lot of that every single time I post an update, which is usually once a week or so. Uh, so there is a lot of manual work, but the base, the base of it is an aggregate of uh, the best and brightest of the other projections. So the rest of season projections that you're planning, how often are those going to be updated in season? Yeah, so they're going to be updated daily. Those are um, yeah, so uh, the the rate stats are going to be updated weekly, but they're going to, uh, based on the number of games left for each team, they're going to decay. So, right. you know, if, if, if there's uh, three games that happen this week instead of uh, 120 remaining, well, you know, now it's going to be based off 117. So the, the math of the quantity will be there, but the rate stats 
will, the rate itself will only be updated once a week, but it'll be daily updated. It'll be on par. Uh, for this year, we're actually not going to be using full ATC playing time. I do my own playing time as well, but just for this year, we're going to use the Fangraphs depth charts. So um, up on there, the Bat uses them as well. Steamer uses them sort of. Uh, Zip's depth chart system does that as well. So the, uh, Jason Martinez, who runs uh, the roster resource part of Fangraphs, uh, he's going to be in charge of playing time, and ATC rest of season will feed on that for this season. We'll see how that goes, um, and we'll see how uh, – I'm going to run some analysis to see how my playing time rest of season compares with uh, how that has performed, how that will perform in season. So – uh, what we do next year, I don't know, but this year it's going to be Fangraphs depth charts playing time, but ATC rates, uh, and that's going to be updated. You should see it every single day. That is very, very cool. I am, I, I'm still kind of curious as to in season, where is the line for somebody's projection to be manually adjusted, or by the time the computer will catch up with it? Like, let's say an Adam Duvall off to a very hot start, or even a Joey Gallo who's looked very good. Um, will have you already kind of gone in there and said, okay, maybe the preseason projections were a little down, or even on the on the flip side, somebody like maybe a Chris Bassett or you know uh, somebody who got knocked around a little bit? Do you immediately kind of think, oh no, we we maybe underestimated or overestimated their abilities, and you go in there immediately, or do you maybe give that just a little more time to normalize? I'm just curious as to the the individual player adjustments and how you go about that. Yeah, I, I don't think after about seven days of baseball, you can really throw away everything you've prepared for for the entire offseason. Somebody has a bad week and hits a buck 50 for the week doesn't really mean much. I mean, Jeff McNeil, I think, is batting 200 or under 200 for the week. He's not going to end up at 200. Luis Arias is batting 500. I know he won the batting title, but he's not going to finish with 500. There's going to be some spell later on. So you, you really can't do that. Uh, you can't go in there. A guy who hits, you know, two, three home runs to start the season. CJ Crone is not going to finish with uh, 400 homers, right? Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's way, way, way too early to adjust like that. I will say, though, that strikeout rate adjusts pretty quickly. Walk rates tend to adjust pretty quickly as well. It'll take a few more weeks, a couple of weeks, uh, to really see that, oh, this guy's striking out more than usual. Oh, this guy's not. But even like home runs, home runs really don't converge even in a full season. It takes like around six, 600 or 650 at bats just to converge on the right power numbers. So to really put emphasis on the first week is silly. Uh, the only thing I would say is some of those by plate, you know, by pitch, CSW, you know, that kind of stuff, stuff plus, that will converge a lot quicker. So I, I would not, as a fantasy manager, overreact right now, but do be on the lookout for some of those rates that do stabilize. Um, and in terms of projections, they're not going to adjust lightning quick like that. Remember, projections take a lot of historical data. It takes three years, five years data, whatever the right. method is. Having a week worth, yes, I understand it's recent, and the recent data is counted more than something three years ago, but it's not going to flip the switch on somebody entirely in just one week. You still have a good couple of seasons of track record before that will totally dominate that in the percentage uh, of how much it counts. So, you know, uh, if, if you have a tie between two people, 
sure, you can push the hotter guy. But, uh, you know, that's in terms of projections. You know, if you're a fantasy manager and you need to pick up somebody, you know, you have an open spot. And, you know, if you don't take a, a gamble on a guy who had three homers this week um, and you don't push that button now, you won't get him on waivers. He'll be scooped up. So whether the projection of him is really accurate or not right away, it's hard to tell. But you might have to take that leap right now with a spot open if it's not too big a, an investment on your fab. Uh, you might have to do that just in case that, oh, OK, no, it's not. It's one week, two weeks. Oh, actually, this guy is the real deal you might have to act quicker than you think. Yeah, I definitely try to be a little more cautious. You know, Trace Thompson goes and hits three home runs, <clears throat> and everybody goes and adds him up. And it's not going to be something where he's hitting three home runs. <laughs> you know, it's going to be the best game he has all season, essentially. Uh, maybe the best game anybody has all season. So it's not something where you should be chasing that particular instance. Um, so in terms of waiting in season to adjust them uh, for a particular player, it's too soon. Agreed, it's too soon. When is the point where you'd start to say maybe, you know, we need to adjust something? Would it be five starts for a pitcher, 10 starts, uh, you know, 100 at-bats? Where's the threshold for you? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, first of all, um, when when you're, when you're uh, adjusting, it, it's, it's not just the raw stats. If you know something – uh, that's not in the numbers. Like if you know that a pitcher has added a pitch, like, you know, Joe Ryan has added a sweeper and oh my God, he's producing a lot better results. I'm going to react to that a lot quicker. He's pitching against Houston this week, right? He had a nice start to start and now he's going to play Houston. If he has a good start against Houston, that's two good starts in a row. I'm going to say, okay, the projections are light. The projections didn't account for the sweeper correctly. The pitch mix is different. There's a new pitch. If a velocity is up on a pitcher, oh, Pablo Lopez, velocity is up two ticks. Oh, that's not in the projections. Projections are historically based. Um, that's going to move my needle really quickly, and I'm going to move up my guy in terms of importance. So you have to know some of the manual things. But in, just in terms of the raw numbers, yeah, I, I'd say 100 at-bats is, is a good amount for for a lot of the a lot of the statistics. Um Five starts, yeah, I think your general rule is is pretty good. Certainly, if you have five bad starts in a row for an ace pitcher, I'm probably going to stop him, right? If you have a fringe pitcher after two bad starts, I'm out. <laughs> if you have a pitcher who's, who's a streamer after one, like Zach Plezak, are you starting him ever again? No. <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, <laughs> he couldn't get through more than one inning of Oakland. I mean, will he get – I mean – if, if I had him play against my softball team, is he going to last? I don't know. I prefer to start Dan Plezak at this point. <laughs> I don't know. What's this? I'm getting a phone call from the Oakland A's. <laughs> oh, you need somebody to replace, please? I mean, really, you know? Yeah. Now, um, <clears throat> we trust the historical data more so than we'll trust the small sample sizes in season, of course, at this point. How much more volatile does that make the in-season, rest-of-season projections for you? Um, do you will you end up trusting because we'll you know like you said the rest of season projections will be up there soon but is there a part of you that might trust your preseason projections more just because there's more data to work with yeah i mean as it, you know it, it's tough to give you an exact switch over point but yes as as we go further and further in the season 
the the switch over of using projections versus what they've done this year. I'm going to use more information as to what's done this year. But hopefully the rest of season projections, if they're done correctly, incorporates that information correctly, right? right. You know, if you have a preseason projection and if you have a rest of season projection, I should say, and it's really, really quick to, oh, my God, it's taking this year's numbers really quickly. That's yeah. probably too much. If it's right. real, relying so much on preseason and not adjusting, it's not enough. Hopefully, if you're if you're doing it correct, correct, and we'll see how ATC turns out this year. I think it'll be good because it obviously takes the best of everybody and gives a majority opinion. Um, you know, hopefully it's it's going right, and you can trust it as well. I mean, I I generally don't look at in terms of picking up players, um, or or in terms of having players go uh, on my uh, deciding when to cut a player or keep a player. I don't actually use projections for that during the season. I mean, if I have to pick up a player and say, well, I don't really have any injuries. I'm just, I have room for a stash. Then I'll look at, okay, who's the best available in terms of projections. But a lot of times it's more, you know, oh, look at this guy. He's hot right now. Let's get him in the lineup. Oh, uh, this guy's injured. I need a quick replacement. Let me get the guy who's just jumped into more playing time. That's not really a projection thing, right? right. So the, the pickups and ads, I don't do that. I use projections more in the middle of the season to track how I think I need the categories balanced on my roster and trading. So, you know, it, it, how do I know that, oh, I'm a light on seals or, oh, I need more power? I do that by taking what I've done so far this season taking the rest of season projections and adding that, and that gets me a projected where I'm going to end up in the end of the season. That is where projections are good. It's good because it's aggregating over months and months. It's a whole season, right? Um, I'm using that to balance my categories. Oh, my next pickup, I need power. Okay, here you go. Um, it'll direct me to what type of stat I need or trading. You know, I, I run myself. Um, it's a si- simulation best. Uh, probability of winning, right? So I'll, I'll I'll simulate my chances of winning this year are 15%. If I trade for a certain player, my chances go up to 18%. I should do that trade. I'll use it to, you know, for a trade analyzer. Okay, is this going to be beneficial or not beneficial to my roster, right? I'm using it for more of the rest of season projections and aggregate. Any one individual player, it's usually more situation dependent, I think, right? How is that for you? Yeah, I mean, it really depends. I, I'm more short-term in my lens for pickups. I try and use a couple of spots for streaming. Of course, it depends if we're talking a Yahoo League versus an NFBC League. try and use a couple of spots for streaming, and I try and pick and choose my matchups. A hitter going into Coors or Great American Ballpark or a, a series at Fenway or a pitcher who's going to be in Oakland or Comerica, things like that. I try and, and of course, this time of year, everybody is, is it's a frenzy on the waiver wire to try and figure out who's going to stick. Is again, Adam Duvall is currently the number one overall fantasy player. Is that going to stick? Absolutely not. But his roster percentage, even just in Yahoo leagues, shot up from the 30s to the 70s. Uh, and that's, you know, we have to see if that's going to stick. He's somebody where it could be a rest of season play, but it's not so much looking at the projections. It's more so just trying not to miss out on the hot bat that might end up, you know, giving you 30 home runs and 100 RBIs. But that's more so not even just looking at the, like, I don't have Adam Duvall's projections in front of me, but I I wouldn't be just from looking at that and saying, yes, based on the projections, it's just based on what the eyes have been telling us to this point in the season. So I think, yes, there's a point where you, you go back and you look at the projections, but I also think at this point of the year, 
it's too early for the projections to you know act, look accurate because it's been just one start for most pitchers five games a lot of them are going to look out of whack and you know it's no nobody's fault obviously it's just way too early to really take much from the projections you have to kind of just see what you're seeing on the field and use it in that regard i'm I, it's tricky, right? This time of year that we're we're trying not to miss more so than we're trying to hit with our pickups and our drops, and it is tricky. But projections, I think, do have to factor in somehow. As much as we want to yeah. just, you know, see what we're seeing on the field and just judge it, you know, oh, Trace Thompson, three home runs. Eh. Maybe take a look yeah. at the projections and the playing time and all that. I mean, in the case of Adam Duval, there's nothing that he's done so far this year that surprises me. I mean, we're only just a couple of years, not even removed from being one of the best power hitters and RBI drivers. I, didn't he lead the league in RBIs one year, like, like two years ago? Yeah, he might have um, with the Braves, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing that surprises me. And when you have a down year last year, I don't know, is that injury-related? Is that just fluky-related? Projections sometimes overtake the most recent year and take it too much, especially if it doesn't fit, right? If there's something about last year that just didn't fit in, projections don't know how to do that. It says, well, you know, 50% of my projection is from last year. And if the guy was bad, it's just going to count more against him than it should. And if you knew that he was sick or if you knew that something was off, I mean, you should almost remove that, right? It should right. almost, you know, do that. So, you know, I, I'm not surprised. And I, I, I don't have Adam Duvall on any of my fantasy rosters because I, I had other guys valued higher. But um, I, I thought of him a lot more. I, I was going to he was going to be one of my guys I picked in the end of, Oh yeah, that guy could do it again. Take that dart. Uh, there's nothing that surprises me so far, and and I, and I wouldn't move him up in my rankings right now, anyways. It just confirms what I already knew, which is better than what the projections said he would. Um, obviously, he's going to regress. He's not going to fit at this level, but yeah, no, there's nothing that that surprises me. Um, you know, Trace Thompson hitting three home runs. That's probably more fluky. Uh, you know, I mean, he does have the ability, but. I'm not going to count on that uh, for all time. I remember, I can't remember the guy's name, but I remember when I was a kid, I might've been 10 years old. And there was, there was a cub who, who hit against the Mets and he hit three home runs on opening day. And that was like, and he had like one more for the rest of the season. Like it was a, the leadoff batter. Cannot remember his name. Maybe some, some of your listeners can remind us who it is, but yeah, you know, you, you can't go by that in the first week. It's, it's kind of fluky. Yeah, I I really like what you said there about sometimes maybe the most recent season is overweighted. I don't think this was the case with this particular player, Josh Hader, but he had an awful year last year that was, I think, heavily influenced by personal struggles. It had nothing to do with on-field you know, situations. It wasn't like he was not throwing the ball hard and whatnot. He started off the year immaculately. I don't think he allowed a run through April. And then his wife had pregnancy complications and then the kid was born and there were more complications and he was traded mid-season and it was just a disaster of a year. Uh, there's something like that. I, this wasn't on the sheet and I apologize, but there's a personal kind of situation like that. Will you go in there and say, oh, maybe they're waiting the most recent season a little too much if there is something that's you know not analytically possible to be, to be quantified in the projections like a, a pregnancy complication? Yeah, so I don't do that in ATC, right? I, ATC are not my personal projections. Right, yeah. Right? There, there's the ATC algorithm, which is, as I said before, is manually edited for more mistakes than anything else or more stuff that I know the data doesn't know, right? Um, but, yeah, when I'm doing my own personal – well, I don't, I don't do rankings, but my own personal uh, bumping up of stats, oh, absolutely. I mean, Josh Hader, to me, was – 
it's roughly at the level of Emmanuel Classe in terms of uh, him being at the top. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to throw away altogether what happened the end of last year, but I'm going to throw away most of it because just as you said, he, he was fantastic before, started off flawlessly, personal trust. Yes, 100% that, that fits in. I remember one year a couple of years ago that Adam Dunn had a, da- Adam Dunn had a down year. He used to be a 40 home run guy every year. Yeah. And he had a down year, and you know, you think, oh, that guy's done. And then I found out his daughter had cancer. Um, I immediately just bid on him in every single league. I mean, there was one league I played one dollar, Adam Dunn. I got 40 home runs out of one dollar. I won that year. Um, I absolutely that soft information is maybe even more valuable than than other things, right? Especially if you get cheap bids. Like, I, I don't know if I would take a $20 player and take the information and say he's a $40 player now. But I certainly will take a one dollar player and say, okay, no, that guy's worth at least eight, yeah. uh, and that'll buy a lot of those shares, right? It, enough to move the player to to where he becomes a buy signal instead of a pass signal. Uh, absolutely, soft information is really, really important. You can't. And here's a nice thing, you know, to, to tell you: you can't play this game well without both. You need to have the projections. You need to have the right way to value players, the right way to pick players, the game theory behind it. You also need the soft information because that is, let's say, equally or at least it is a huge part of the value of of how to play this game. Uh, And to be a good fantasy player, you need to know a little bit of everything. Yeah, the numbers won't pick up on 100% of the information, so that's why uh, you need to also use your noggin, you know, uh, when you're going into drafts, you know, and you use projections, you use a whole bunch of different things, and there's also, you know, the gut factor. One guy's projected a little bit higher than the other. If you prefer the one guy who's projected lower, then, you know, at the end of the day, it's your team. Uh, you got to do what feels right to you, as great as all the projections and all the tools are, something I try and I, I always forget about, really, but... People who are doing these teams is because they love fantasy baseball. And at the end of the day, the decisions should be made based on what they believe and not based on what anybody else is telling them. As much as the information helps, do you agree there? Or do you think that you should rely more so on the data as opposed to your own your own gut? I think that the base of the information you need to take from others and from a robust set of projections. I think that you need to then tweak not just say it's not just say it's your own team. Do what you want. Like Corbin Carroll, I'm sure it's going to be an amazing baseball player. But if you decided to take him as a second round player, that's not what projections will have you at. Right. Right. You're and you know it, for any one get player, you could be right. Like oh my god, maybe you found the next uh, Juan Soto in the middle of the year. Right. Aaron Judge, you know he was nobody, and all of a sudden he had 52 homers. Yes, for any one player, you can you can have that where oh I know you my gut feeling he's going to be the guy, sure. But for every one player that your gut tells you is right, there's going to be two that it's wrong, and you know by and large, if you go far off from projections or if you go far off from a consensus opinion, it's not a good idea. You need to set your base and and start with consensus. Consensus projections, I, I believe, and then put in the soft information and adjust afterwards. Yes, it is your team. Don't just take projections and use it as gospel. I don't, and I'm the one who made the projections, right? <laughs> uh, 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 the ATC, that is. I don't take it as gospel. I, I oh, you know this guy. You know what? He's working on his launch angle. It's not in the projections. 
that's a piece of information I know I put on there. Uh, you should also know how project what projections mean and what's in and what's not in projections. But start with that as a base. Don't just go willy nilly. Like I, I tell people, I don't draft really before uh, before my projections because I don't want to go naked into draft. Right? Yeah. You you want to you want to have that base, and then it's your team. Go do with it. If you really like a player, go buy him. Like don't just you know don't say well you know you, you, I can't projections say no. Sure, have fun. If you have, want a player, no problem. But if you start doing that with four, five, six players, it's just going to steer you in the wrong. Because in the overall, you're not going to beat projections in the long run. So make your diversions quick, pointed, selective, uh, and that's really the way to do it. You said a lot more eloquently what I was attempting to say, which is use the project, use the projections, but also at the end of the day, play around a little bit. Because at the end, if everybody just used projections and slotted them into draft rankings and everybody would have the same team from the one slot, the, from the two slot, you know? Oh, and especially with playing time. Like if you think, Oh, ATC has them only for a hundred at bats, like Mets, Brett Beatty. Okay. I think the projections, I think, I, I think I finally had him a little bit higher, maybe 300 at bats or whatever for a while in the preseason. Beatty was projected for like 150 at bats. And I'm looking at, I'm like, Wow, no, it's a lot more. He's gonna be, he's gonna be up. I mean, he's gonna be up there. He's gonna get a lot more playing time. An injury happens. Escobar doesn't do well, right? So I, I was, I was, if I, if I had drafted at that time, I would have put him a lot more. Now I wouldn't have put him up and bought him in a mixed league. But if I was playing an NL only, oh, absolutely, I would have put, said, you know what? Let's put him at three hundred fifty at bats, not one hundred fifty at bats. Right. The playing time is definitely the place where you're going to do it. Maybe even like a, a decision thing, like saves or steals. Oh, I think it's going to be this guy as a closer. If you have that intuition, 100% use that over projections. Steals, this guy is going to run more. He's going to run every chance. He's going to get on base. Absolutely use that intuition. So, you know, the roles and playing time, that's where you want to be different. That's where you want to make adjustments. But, you know, on the rate stats, don't you know? Oh, yeah. this guy is a, a right a batting average. I, I, don't tell me that you know a lot more than projections about about batting average. You just don't. No, nobody does. The projections do tend to be a little more conservative with the projections. But at the end of the day, th- there's not much you can really do. I mean, I, sometimes you see something that looks a little strange, like maybe a Jeff McNeil projected a bat, you know, in the 280s or something. We think. Well, he's probably going to hit 300, and that one season where he's batting 250 might weigh that down. And you can say, okay, I'm drafting him, and it's, he's projected for 280, but in all in all likelihood, I'm getting a 300 a 300 hitter here. Certain things like that, I wouldn't recommend doing it. But even in your own head, you can just a little bit maybe say, okay, he's probably going to do better. But at the end of the day, he did have a season where he he did bat 250. Uh, one guy who was playing time, I was kind of manually adjusting with projections was Masataka Yoshida. I was thinking that he'd probably be likely to play a little more than what he was projected for, like 120 games. Maybe that's just wishful thinking because I've drafted him everywhere. Uh, was there? Because we're looking at his Japanese seasons. He's between 130, 140 games. Sometimes he was dipping down a little bit farther. It just felt a little bit low. So personally, I thought maybe we see like something closer to what Zips is calling for, maybe 132 as opposed to 120. And that's where you can kind of say, okay, I'm pushing him up a round or two because I just personally think that he'll he'll probably be on the field more so than 120 games. I don't see him missing a quarter of the games, barring injury, of course. Yeah, so Yoshida is a very, very unique example. And 
probably a good one to talk about because it'll let you know a little bit about projections. Uh, and also, since you mentioned zips, I will say something. Uh, the zips projections of playing time is very different than all the other ones. Um, the zips is not projecting. It's not taking playing time of a team and splitting it out and saying, well, you know, you, you can't have more than X at bats for a third baseman, more than X at bats for a second baseman, right? You got to split time, right? Catchers split time, right? Um, it doesn't do that. Zip says, if this guy is a major leaguer, then he would get X at bats. Like, like Matt Mervis, right? Even though he's blocked by Hosmer and Mancini, but Matt Mervis as a full-time regular would get X at bats. So you'll see a very big discrepancy. His at bats, according to Zips, will be a lot higher. The right. other projections sort of take uh, the game theory aspect and saying, well, you know, you can only project a certain amount of time because he's only going to be up. So his counting stats for fantasy purposes will only count so many at bats for you. Zip doesn't do that. It's more of a baseball algorithm. It's, it's showing what the major league player will look like. Um, that's why you'll see a lot of these minor league guys look a lot better according to Zips because you assume that whoever's blocking them is unblocked and they're fully up, right? So don't take Zips exactly for your for what you would use for fantasy, but really good to look at. And if you know what you're looking at, there you go. And that's why Yoshida was projected higher because Yoshida as a major leaguer, as a full-time major leaguer, would have more. But the way that projections are done, and I said it earlier in the show, that it's rates and playing time. Um, if they're not they're not connected, they're done independently. If Yoshida, and of course, this is a foreign player, this is a lot harder to project. Right. There's no major league experience. You're taking some foreign equivalent of him. If Yoshida is doing well, he's gonna get a lot more playing time, right? He's gonna hit this many homers and he's gonna play almost every single game. If he stinks, he's gonna get less playing time. He'd only get uh, 100 games, and he'd bat 220. But if he was really good, he'd bat 280, he would get 155 games, right? Right. It goes, it goes together, right? It should go together. But projections don't do that. Projections project them independently. So what you get here is when you get the average projection, you get an average skill set, which is somewhere in the middle of the, oh, my God, and he's terrible. You also get an average playing time. He's not the 100 game. He's not the 135 game that Zip, Zip says. He's 120, right? You get the average of that because here's all the scenarios, good and bad, and we don't know when we got to wait him. And there's more variance because he's you know hard to project. And so you get like a mediocre projection somewhere in the middle. He, it, it's more binary. He's not that mediocre, I don't know what to do, he'll sit some days, not, not. It's either he sucks and he's out, well, pretty much, or he's in there, he's the cleanup hitter, and this is exactly what the Red Sox paid him for. So that decision is binary. When you, when you drafted him, you have to know that whatever spot you took, took at him, it's a binary risk. He could just, you can fump for $8, or he can turn into a $20 player. So, you know... I think we're seeing a little bit more of the, actually, this guy is pretty good. Uh, I, I think it, it's evaluating more for that. I would instantly push him up because I think projections had him with that bottom crappy skill set is more of a possibility. I would shrink that. I would say that, no, actually, he's more likely to be the good guy than the bad guy. So I think this is a case where projections would need to shift very quickly and throw away those bottom scenarios more. Very, very good example. Um, I'm glad you brought him up because uh, it, it, it's good to know how to think. And I think that all the guys who drafted him 
probably going to end up turning a profit this year because he was a lot cheaper than what his true skill set probably is. Oh, I was paying post 200 ADP for him a lot of the time. Uh, even in on base percentage format, I was able to get him, I think, in the 230s or something. Like I thought he was a fantastic value. You're talking in that ballpark. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's giving you production, maybe not steal so much, but you're getting four category production with a, with a couple of steals to chip in. I think he's going to be fantastic. I think he and early returns. I mean, so far, uh, 20 plate appearances. He's at a home run. He's stolen a base, batting 294. He looks very, very good. Very comfortable in Boston. Good. Looks good. Now, I did want to ask you one last thing before we let you go. Stolen bases are absolutely bonkers they are they are nuts do you think that they were properly accounted for not just in your system but in all systems preseason um probably not um in well i didn't i didn't um do any special bump i thought about it long and hard okay am i gonna make is atc gonna make a statement me as ariel cohen on top of it giving uh, a, a global uh, you know, global indication for steals. Am I going to do something on top uh, of all the other projections or not? And I came to the conclusion that I wouldn't. Um, I spoke to pretty much all, a lot of, well, not all, a lot of the projection artists that underlie my projections. And everyone had a very different view. Uh, Dan Zimborski, Zips, did said, I'm not making any adjustments for stolen bases. Like, I don't know how to do it. I can't do a good job. I'm just going to let it be. And We'll take it into account next year, you know, um, whereas Steamer and the bat, they gave it their their shot and they did some kind of tweaking. They did it a little bit later in the in the preseason than, than I think we, we'd had hoped for. Um, and it's also, you know, what, what what do you do? It's 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 very hard to, to know what's going to be. All that you really had available was minor league data. So you can see what the effect of minor league ballparks, how it happened. But. What happens at major leagues, really hard to know. Um, just so hard to make the correct adjustment. I think what we've seen in the first week, and again, it is the first week, so you can't go by a lot, is there's going to be a lot, a lot more in, in the attempts. And it's hard also to tell what what is the cause of it because I've heard players say that it's the pitch clock, that they can time their jumps more and be more confident that they get a good jump on a ball. And then I've heard players say, Actually, it's the throwover. It's the fact that now they got two throwovers. Now I know when I'm going. They got to be nervous to throw over, right? I have so, so many different. Oh, and then I heard another player say nothing to do with anything. It's actually the bases are, are, are now close or apart by a couple of inches. Like I've heard different things from people as to why. So I can't tell you right now what's the, you know, what exactly is correct and not because I don't think we know what the cause is. And we also don't know the extra, the extraneous effects. We don't know, you know, there are other stuff in play that we can never account for. There's going to be new strategies and you're going to see it develop in season. Like you're going to see managers reacting to this first week and, and uh, uh, analytics staff reacting to this first week and saying, okay, now we have a different game plan. And you can see it changing also like the past couple of seasons, we haven't had a lot of stolen bases, partly because stolen base success rates sucked. They were bad. And if you knew the success rate was bad, other than your top stolen base guys, you wouldn't steal it all. Now that equation has changed. You might think elsewhere. You, you might think otherwise. Teams are not going to employ new strategies. And you're going to see it develop. So it's very, very hard to tell. But all in all, I do think that you're going to see 
the rise. Not Maybe not to this extent for the rest of the season, but you are going to see a pretty significant bump in stolen bases. So far, it looks to be concentrated by the big stolen base guys. You know, you got your Mateos and you got your uh, Mullins that are running. But you do get some other guys like, you know, Jehuan Bay is running there. Even Vladdy putting a stolen base, you know. You're going to see it. So it's going to be – I'm not going to say it's going to be global. I think it's going to be concentrated more in the top level, but you will see a, a push all throughout the different levels. Um, yeah, it's 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 a hard scenario to know. I, I wouldn't – I would wait a little bit, though, to, to make better guesses. I think one week is too small of a sample. And the other thing I'd say is that stone bases in general are always up in April. Right, they're up earlier in the season when the power kicks in mid-season, like in June, July. Weather gets hotter. There are more homers, and so people steal less because they don't want to run into outs. Then it picks it up later in September when you get prospect call-ups. So just because it's very hot in April, don't know that that's going to continue in the hot weather months. Uh, but I think pretty clearly we see that the trend is up. And I don't know. Do you think it, it, it's a better game? I I, I kind of like running. I, I think it's so much more fun for the fans, and why not? Right. Oh, I love stole. I love small ball. I love base hit, bunt them over to second, bunt them over to th- like maybe not that to that extent, but I am a big fan of low scoring games that involve a lot of strategy, and it's not just you know eight to seven with fifteen solo home runs that get hit. That's that's not the baseball I, I want to see. I want to see guys stealing. I want to see guys you know legging out triples and you know the exciting plays and stolen bases are. A top five or seven more one of the more exciting plays that you can see on a baseball field so i'm glad that we've seen a lot more uh, i've got a couple teams that have already stolen 10 bases uh so far this year which is just ridiculous you know we have like 13 15 players who have multiple steals i i've seen some people talking and people that i respect in the industry a lot saying you know you still need to go and find more steals this year but they seem to be fairly abundant where i don't know that you need to be adding you know i got a question on twitter earlier today about adding miles straw I don't know that that's necessary, and because of the environment where there are just so many steals, there needs to yeah, be yeah. But you need more. You need more steals. If there's so many steals, you need more to be competitive, right? But but you're getting them from more from more places. So do you think it's worthy to have a guy like a John Birdie or a Miles Straw as like a one category kind of guy, or do you think that because you're getting you know, 10 steals from guys where you yeah. may have previously got five that it doesn't matter as much. Yeah, no, no, point taken. John Birdie actually becomes devalued. Uh, that that I agree with because you're getting, you know, Vlad Steele's soul base. You're, you're getting more steel contributors. You do need more steals in general. So, uh, but yes, you're right. They're a little bit more fungible this year. I'll say, though, that the big thing is I think pitching is much more fungible because even even powers up, right? You're, you're getting pitchers kicked around more. I think that other than the strikeout pitchers, maybe um, your pitching is a lot more fungible. Hopefully you have a deep pitching bench. You didn't really need somebody at the top as much, right? You didn't need that burns Cole. Well, Cole strikes out, but you know, the guys at the top, especially who are just, you know, don't get you the real strikeouts. I don't know. Sandy Alcantara. I don't know if, if he's as valuable this year, um, he lasts a long time in the game, so it gets you more wins. He's still on the Marlins. Um, but that type where he doesn't produce the big strikeout numbers, don't think at the top it's as valuable. I think you're more better off getting the depth. 
so that you have a lot of depth of pitchers on the bottom. Now, of course, you've already drafted, so can't really tell you how to do. But yeah. if you are going to pick up on the waiver wire, uh, I do suggest that you pick up these fringe starters that could turn into something. Those are the ones that I would attack early on. Uh, like the Graham Ashcrafts, Graham Ashcrafts. I mean, those are the valuable guys to get who have. Oh, this guy actually might be a viable starter most weeks. Those are the guys to pick up more than than the hitters uh, right now. That, that's the advice in, in the short term, I think. Yeah, the guys where you can fall back on strikeouts, even if you know the other categories are not necessarily as you know as high of a floor as you might like. I was a little bit down on Sandy. I think I ranked him as my 11th starting pitcher, and I've never gotten as much pushback on anything. I don't have a huge following, but I've never gotten as much pushback when I put Sandy outside the top 10. I just worry about you know the lack of strikeouts, which we kind of saw know, in, that, in that first game. Yeah, and it's not so much that the pitcher is not that good. I mean, I, I, I'm speaking as if like, oh, he's not. It, it, he's still just as good. I think that you know what what he what he did last year. I think he's completely capable of doing it again. All I'm saying is that the value of it relative to the others and the, and not just that it's more team construct, like constructing your roster surrounded and building him as your ace and saying, you know, I got Sandy and I'll just build elsewhere. That I think was the wrong idea. Even if he does exactly the same thing as he did last year. Right. Um, I just think it's the team construct and the game theory part. That's a little bit different, not so much the player. So I mean, I probably rank him higher than 11th, but uh, less, less you'll, I mean, I don't have him on a single roster because I don't think he's that good a key as an ace to, 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 to anchor your roster. If that makes sense. Right. No. Yeah. I took him in one league. It's the Canadian, you know, the earth leagues. There's the, the earth fantasy baseball leagues that Dave McDonald puts together. I took him in that league, the Canadian one, because he fell to pick 45 and I already, the Canadian one, a good league, by the way, is that fun? It's my first year. I'm still oh. dipping my feet uh, in the water. We got Zach Waxman, Patrick Davitt, uh, oh, sure. Frank, Frank Amarante. There's a, there's a few people that are, that are fairly well known in that league. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing exactly in the NFBC because it's my first year playing uh, in the NFBC. But I took Corbin Burns, uh, pick 16. I had the 15th pick, and I think I went uh, Vladdy and Burns, and then I took Alcantara. Oh, Vlad uh, fell to you at 15? Yeah, I believe that's what wow. it was. Wow. That I believe that's good. what it was. Um, but yeah, I, I I wasn't targeting Sandy anywhere because I, I like to be able to fall back on something. And with him, it's volume. And you never know with, with the volume guys if he misses. Well, you got him. You got him at the end of the third round, right? You didn't push him up all the way, right? You know, if, if you let him fall, if everybody lets him fall, of course. At a certain point, of course, you got to take the value. Sorry, this particular um, league was actually Machado, Machado, Burns, and Alcantara. That was my first three. Okay. But at 45, I just felt at that point, okay, I wouldn't take him in the 20s where a lot of people were taking him where his ADP was. But at that point, it's like, okay, I've got Burns and the strikeouts to fall back on. Well, sure. That was my thought process before I saw him on opening day. Uh, but no, he should he should still be all right. But I, I took him there because I had the already the security blankets uh, of solid strikeout numbers. But I was a little bit down. And in general, uh, we'll have to see what happened. It's a very long year. Uh, Ariel, is there anything else in terms of you know weird things with projections that people might want to know? Want Anything else you want to get off before we, uh, we let you go here? Oh, <laughs> hard to know. Weird things? I mean... Um, when they're setting their nothing- lineups or making trades or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing weird about projections. It's just you need to know what's in them and what's not in them. 
pitchers are changing their their pitch change mix as i said uh batters taking a different stance they're using somebody in a different role he's going from starting pitcher to reliever. you know anytime there's something where you know you're basing history on and it's not doesn't fit then you know that projections are going to look a little silly um you know projections at the very top who knows like you know what is the top five players cost what are they worth uh, it, you know it's really hard to to, to put a, a thumbtack on it's more market driven as to what goes on in your league right, right. so it, it's you know it, it's just about knowing how to use projections but uh yeah I, as you know I, i'm a believer in them uh i don't think they're they're god i think that they are a they're a man's gift as a great starting point and uh you should be starting with projections and i i do prefer the atc because it does take ideas from everybody. Uh, it's going to mute certain players. You're not going to have anybody who's going to hit 55 homers. Um, but, you know, if if a lot of projections say that a, pr- a player is good, it's going to show up as good, right? So yeah. you'll see how, uh, you know, it, it uh, not that it gives you a big magnitude, but it, it helps you go away from the busts, right? It, it, it helps you avoid mines and, and, and traps, uh, th- that's what it's good for. And to be honest, it's more about picking players who are profitable, the, the quantity of players that are profitable more than, you know, the magnitude. If, sure. Any player that's going to be a $10 player and turn $30 value, of course, but I- I'm okay with having, you know, 75 players on my roster, just making a dollar or two on them. Like, I think that will help you in the long run and avoiding the the big, big bombs or the landmines, as they say, uh, and that's what projections really will, will help you in general. Well, people who listen to the show regularly have heard me mention ATC throughout the entire offseason when talking about my my projections, position reviews, team previews. So you guys got to hear from the man behind the curtain today, Mr. Ariel Cohen. You guys can check him out over on Twitter at ATCNY. He's a former FSWA Baseball Writer of the Year. And he knocked out this podcast in the first round of baseball podcast <laughs> over on Twitter. So you should definitely be checking out the Beat the Shift podcast uh, with Ariel and Ruven. They do a fantastic job. And they had my buddy Michael Govier on just this past week. So definitely be checking out that episode. All the great work that Ariel does. You can check it out over at Fangraphs at Roto Baller. And of course, like I said, on Twitter at ATCNY. You guys can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99, and you get access to all of our different baseball and fantasy baseball content over at Ethos Fantasy BB. That's E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB. Guys, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll take a look at some pitching streamers. We'll recap today's action and do all that great stuff. But until then, have a great one, guys. Take care, and we will see you tomorrow. <laughs>